Very good. If you got your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And uh, this morning, we get to take a look at probably a very familiar passage, but hopefully we can see it with some fresh eyes. And we uh, get to continue in on our series that we have been going through the book of Matthew, talking of the ways in which Jesus would define his kingdom. And it is a kingdom that stands contrary to much of culture's conventional wisdom. It presents us with differing perspectives and priorities than the rest of the world may have. And unlike any other kingdom here on earth, well, God's kingdom is one that is advanced and fueled by prayer. I've heard it said before that prayer is to the Christian as blood is to the body. For it is the very lifeblood of those of us who reside in God's kingdom. And when it comes to prayer... Um, I am reminded of a Facebook memory that popped up on my page a while back. It was a quote that came from my then six-year-old son. Now, we had had quite a trying day with him. And he had really struggled in his obedience. And he had become very stubborn in his attitude towards my wife and I's very wise parental guidance. <laughs> and so that night I went to tuck him into bed and I knelt, knelt down with him. And I prayed that tomorrow Jesus would help him have a better attitude and listen better to mommy and daddy because of how much we loved and we cared for him. And after I said amen, he looked up at me with those sweet little boy eyes and said, that is the worst prayer I have ever heard. <laughs> now, we may all have some differing ideas of what constitutes a good or bad prayer. We've probably all sort of made some assumptions of how we should pray. Maybe the order that we should pray in. Maybe what we should or should not ask for. And the disciples, too, certainly would have drawn their own opinions of how prayer should be done. They were well versed in it because it had become such an ingrained part of their Jewish heritage. But at some point, well, they must have begun to question some of those assumptions that they held. Could it be that they had gotten prayer all wrong? In fact, it's interesting that the disciples, you know, they never really ask Jesus, hey, how do we preach? How do we evangelize? How do we worship? How do we lead our families? But the one thing they were sure to directly ask Jesus was, hey, Jesus, 
would you show us how to pray? I think it's because they had likely watched Jesus. They watched him for some time, and in so doing, they had likely become convinced that prayer was the secret to his ministry. They had likely observed it to be the lifeblood of the kingdom. And so in Matthew chapter 6, if you got your Bibles open there, Jesus is going to dispel some of the myths and uncover some of the secrets for us of prayer. And in order to do so, well, just as my six-year-old son then did with me, Jesus is going to begin by saying, first, let me tell you some of the worst prayers God has ever heard. He's going to start in verse 5. Matthew 6, verse 5, Jesus says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. When you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. And then your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, don't misunderstand this to mean that we shouldn't ever pray out loud with one another. Right? So <laughs> where you're, you live in the constant fear of maybe having to pray out loud at your small group. Listen, this is not a life verse that you get to claim. All right? Because we are instructed in other places of the Bible to pray with and for one another and, yes, out loud even, so that we all get the opportunity to be encouraged by the prayer. What made this one a bad prayer wasn't that it was done in public. It's that it was made to impress others. See, that's a bad prayer. When we attempt to impress people. And Jesus would bring up this example because it had become a common way for the religious leaders to pray. See, the Pharisees, they had designated three different times throughout the day to go to the synagogues and pray, which may sound like a very good intention but in time, well, it became just a means for them to attract attention to themselves. They wanted to be sure that others were aware of how devout and spiritually awesome they were for making all of the prayer meetings. I mean, if they were going to go to church that often, they wanted to be sure that they were going to get credit for their attendance. And so what they would do is they would, as they would make their way to the synagogue, they would actually pray out loud for everyone to hear, making it seem as though, oh, they were just so eager to go and pray that they just couldn't wait. They wanted others to be impressed by their dedication, which is why Jesus would tell us to pray privately if we at all have the urge to pray for appearance sake. And then Jesus says, all right, now let me tell you another, another one of the worst prayers 
God has ever heard. It's found in verse 7. Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need before you even ask him. Now, again, don't misunderstand this one. He's not meaning to say that God minds our very long-winded prayers. I mean, others might, especially before the mealtime, right? <laughs> but God doesn't. Nor is he bothered by us requesting something repeatedly. In fact, you know, in the next chapter over, Jesus is going to mention prayer again in chapter 7. And there he's actually going to say, hey, keep on asking repeatedly until you receive. His point here is that a bad prayer also attempts to impress God. Whereas some of the Jewish people would treat prayer as a way to showcase their spiritualism. Well, some of the Gentiles treated it as a means to control or, or even sort of manipulate God. Because before any of the Gentiles knew of God, well, they had become accustomed to worshiping a, a plethora of different, you could say, created gods. It was just part of the Greek culture. And it was so prevalent in that day, in that region. We would call it now Greek mythology. And we may consider it useful, some of those myths, and just simply teaching, you know, some good, some good life lessons at times. But before Christ... Man, the worship of Zeus and Athena and hundreds of other gods was just the religion of the land. And the way that the Gentiles would perceive those mythological gods often had an effect on the way that they would view the one true God. See, the Greeks believed that their many gods were quite particular and the way that they were addressed or the way that they were prayed to. And so prayers many times would sort of resemble spells. Where there were certain, you know, like formulas to use in order to really get what you, what you were hoping for. You had to use certain words, oftentimes getting them in, in just the right order. So that's what Jesus is referring to when he speaks of babbling on and on, of repeating words, maybe trying to get them in, in just the right order. See, they figured that they somehow had to convince or even kind of try to trick God into acting on their behalf. When in fact, the very reason that God instructs us to pray would be for our well-being. It is our lifeblood. And so Jesus says, don't pray to impress people or to impress God. Pray like this, he then says. And then he's gonna go on and he's gonna demonstrate this model prayer, which we will often call the Lord's Prayer. 
But the Lord's Prayer, in it, I think Jesus is really teaching us more about why we pray than really how to pray. And so before we even dig into and dissect this prayer, you have it in your notes there. I want to give you sort of the big overarching why of prayer. The why is that we pray as a means to draw closer to God's heart. And this, of course, well, it delights God, but it also leads to our well-being. And so, remember this, everybody wins with prayer. I was reflecting on this in probably a little bit of an odd way this last week when I I watched a TED Talk by James Cameron, who he's a movie producer. He's produced such films as uh, Terminator. He's done Avatar. And then he's also done the Titanic movie. And I was struck by his explanation for why he decided to make the Titanic movie. Maybe you saw his, his talk where he explained that he has always thought of himself as being a little bit more of an adventurer, like an explorer, as opposed to just a movie producer. You see, the movies have always just been a means to explore the imagination or maybe some mysterious new place. And ever since he was young, well, he's always had a fascination with the ocean. At the age of 15, he went and he earned his scuba diver's license, even though he lived 600 miles from the nearest ocean. And he said that when he originally pitched the idea of the film to the studio, He did so as saying that it would be Romeo and Juliet on a ship, (laughs) promising an epic romance filled with adventure. But he really had very little interest in the romance. He said that his main interest in doing the film was really to dive down to the original wreckage of the Titanic movie, but he needed funding in order to to take on such a huge expedition. And so when he pitched this movie, he was adamant with the studios (laughs) that it would be absolutely necessary to get real footage of the wreckage site for the promotion, for for the storyline. And the studio, he said, went along with this. (laughs) And so he said, everybody won. And I listened to that and I thought, huh, well, doesn't God do the same sort of thing with us through prayer? Because it's his main interest that we would draw closer to his heart. And yet, you know what? That isn't always why we might come to him in prayer. My experience is that very often I will pray because of what I feel I need. Or I'm looking for answers 
I'm looking for comfort, for peace, maybe for reassurance. And you know what? God doesn't seem to mind. In fact, he actually tells us to come to him in prayer and pray for all of those things that we need. But we shouldn't expect him to be satisfied with only fulfilling requests. See, those are just the means by which we very often are drawn to his heart through prayer. And this is how it happens. These are in your notes. First, through connection. Through prayer, we're able to, to stay connected to God, just as a couple of friends or, or maybe some spouses will grow more together in relationship as they spend time just simply being with each other. It's why Paul would tell us, I believe in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, pray continually. We might spend even more time with God so that we might go through our whole day sharing our thoughts with him so that by the end of the day, we might get there and feel as though we have spent the whole day then with God. Through connection, we also grow closer as a result of dependence. Now, we're really going to see this through the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is going to insist that we express our vulnerabilities to God, asking for the things that we need. It's a way of recognizing our need for him. We're to rely on him for the very things that sustain and give us life. And through prayer, we will also find alignment. Because the more time we spend communicating with God, well, the more we'll find our hearts being aligned with his. It's what I think Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 speaks of when it tells us to, to trust and seek the Lord with all of our hearts so that we don't have to depend on our own understanding, but we depend on him. And then Jesus gives this 30-second model prayer in which he tells us five different things to pray for. And it starts like this. Our Father in heaven. <laughs> and immediately, the prayer begins in a rather odd way. Jesus' Jewish audience and followers would have been shocked to hear him begin in such a way because they were accustomed to addressing God in much more reverent and dignified terms. But Jesus prays to God in a very personal way. Using this Aramaic term, Abba, which was a very affectionate term for a dad. 
It may be what you would call your own dad if you have a very close and loving relationship with him. And in so doing, well, Jesus immediately emphasizes this close and intimate relationship that God desires to have with us through prayer. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And here, will we pray for God's reputation. That we and others would recognize his holiness and his goodness. Have you ever thought to pray for the things that make God look good? Where others would notice God's beauty in the world. Now, it may not be too hard to to spot God's beauty when we're looking for it. But the problem is that in the routine of life, well, we're often just not looking. Such was the case with Joshua Bell. At the age of four, Joshua Bell's parents knew that they had a very different kind of kid. One morning, they watched him stretch rubber bands between the the knobs on his dressers and play them like an instrument, learning to actually vary the pitch by, by going in and out with them. By age 12, he was playing violin for the Philadelphia Orchestra. In his 30s, he was recognized as being one of the most premier violinists in the world, selling out concert halls worldwide where people will pay hundreds of dollars just in order to hear such beautiful music played. And back in 2007, a reporter from the Washington Post asked Bell if he would help him with a social experiment. The reporter wondered that if we were to place one of the most the, one of the best musicians in the world in one of the most unassuming places, the Washington, D.C. metro station, where thousands of people come and go, and we were to just let him play there like a common street performer, what would the crowds do? And so they placed Bell against a bare wall at the bottom of an escalator, During rush hour, they dressed him in blue jeans, a t-shirt, a worn out hat, a violin case right there in front of him for people to throw their dollars in. And although everything was to look just very ordinary, Bell refused to cheapen the experience. He played some of the most intricate classical pieces ever created. And for nearly an hour, and he did so, get this, on his prized three and a half million dollar violin. Well, as you can imagine, security had to be arranged. (laughs) Standing by, ready to move in, rush him out of there if the mob of people just became too intense. Wasn't a problem. His bell began to play. Very few people noticed his music. 
In the hour of the thousands that hurried by, there were 20 that threw some change in the case. There were six people that so much as paused, but none for more than a minute. But there was one, there was a woman who stood and listened for 10 and a half minutes. And if you go back and you watch the camera footage, it shows her standing about 10 feet away, just standing there in amazement. And in a break between songs, she sheepishly went up to Belle and she said, I recognize you. She said, I listened to you play at the Library of Congress. You are amazing. I can't believe I've spotted you here. And I think that that is the prayer. That in the monotony of life, that we or someone else, having passed by maybe a place hundreds of different times, would be able to spot God and just stand there in amazement that his holiness, that his goodness would be there with us. Lord, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is a prayer for God's purposes. We should desire to see God's plans realized as completely here on earth as they are in heaven, that his will would be done. And I think that Jesus would place this in sort of his, his model prayer here so that we would be reminded often to prioritize God's agenda in our life. It's our way of acknowledging even that God's ways are better than ours. And you know, when we concern ourselves with God's will being done, well, very often he allows us to play a part. We get invited to work in harmony with the things that he's already doing, much like a singer would become in harmony with the tune of a song. See, if we were to, to jump in, and try to sing along as Joshua Bell maybe played a song, well, it would be really important for us to be able to hear what song is being played. And we know this to be true because as Americans, well, we find ourselves captivated by those who think their singing is so great, but it is so obviously out of tune. <laughs> It's what made American Idol initially such a hit TV show, right? In those auditions, they would show the train wrecks and we just couldn't look away. And I am no musician myself, or so Wheat tells me. <laughs> but I do know that in order to be in tune, well, you first have to hear the notes being played in the music. 
It's why I will sometimes say, right, that you have to have an ear for it. And this little prayer for God's will, really it helps us develop this ear for God. I like to think of God's work in the world as a beautiful song that he would play all throughout creation. He is the composer, but he allows us to participate in it. We get to be a part of the great chorus of people that would join in the redemptive work that he's doing. But to join in, well, we must become in tune with the things that God wants to do in us and around us. And so here, Jesus has us pray for God's purposes. May your kingdom come and be done. Give us today the food we need. Or in the NIV version or many other versions in which probably a lot of us have memorized, it says, give us today our daily bread. Good, you're awake. All right. You passed that test. And of course, this has to do with our provision. Now, I would like to point out that this is a rather inefficient prayer. It seems like poor planning to me to only pray for just a day's worth of food. Have you ever thought about that? Why wouldn't you pray for the week? Are you kidding me? Why not stock your cupboards for the month? But I would assume that Jesus asks us to pray for a daily supply. First, I think probably to cut down a little bit on the worry that we might have for tomorrow. We're going to talk about that next week, so don't miss it. But also, you know, when we're counting on God daily, our trust in him is able to grow so much more than when we're depending on him less frequently. The Jewish people, well, they, they knew this well. When Jesus' audience heard this phrase, oh, their ears would have perked up at the mention of daily bread. After all, they had come from a culture that had a lot of experience with daily bread. Their Jewish heritage would have given them these mental flashbacks to the days that God delivered them from, the, from Egypt. Way back when Charleston Heston led them out and to the promised land. You remember the film. In Exodus chapter 16, the people get, begin to uh, complain to God. They begin to doubt him that he can take care of them in the desert. Did I break it? And God graciously responded to all of their whining with manna. In the mornings, it would appear as if there were frosted flakes that covered the ground. It was manna. 
They could go out and they could collect it and they could make it into this dough. They would bake some great things like banana bread, (laughs) banana cream pies. (laughs) And the Israelites learned to depend on his provision because whenever they would try to hoard it or they would store it up, it would rot overnight. And so it gave them reason then to ask for God to provide daily. And when we're coming to God daily, well, it means that we're connecting with him on a regular and repeating basis. See, God's provision, I think, is really about relationship. I like to think of it this way. As a young adult, I moved out of my parents' house and I got in town uh, while I was going to college. I was independent and it felt so good. But I think that my parents took some comfort in the fact that they knew they could draw me home for a visit by offering certain provisions. <laughs> it, wasn't con- it wasn't coincidence that I would normally show up around dinner time. Oh, you guys having dinner? <laughs> well, I guess I could eat. <laughs> Mom, you doing some laundry? Dad, you know how to fix this thing on my truck? And you know what? Whenever they had something to to give me, if I was lucky, maybe it was a little money or maybe something else, they would never offer to just drop it on by. No, they gave me reason to come over for a visit. It's how provision can often contribute to relationship. And by providing for us daily, well, God has given us reason to connect with him through prayer regularly and repeatedly. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And so here we pray, of course, for our forgiveness. And we're all in need of forgiveness. We're all guilty of sin. And this prayer is a constant reminder that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Oh, we are so grateful for Jesus. The worrisome part of this verse, of course, is that it seems to assume that we would be just as good at giving forgiveness than we are at receiving it. And Jesus sort of illustrates why a little later in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 18, where he tells the story of a king who had decided to collect on his debts from those who had borrowed money from him. And a man was called in before him who owed millions of dollars of debt to the king. And he had no ability to pay, which in that time meant that he 
his family, everything he owned would have to be sold off in order to begin paying on this debt. The man fell before the king and he pleaded, please be patient with me as I try to pay. And the king felt great compassion. So much so that he showed him this amazing amount of grace. He forgave his millions of dollars of debt and he wiped his slate clean. He gave him this, this second chance on life. Well, as soon as that man left the king, Jesus said, he then went to find someone else who owed him a few thousand dollars, which was like lunch money compared to the amount that he had owed. And like him, well, this man wasn't able to pay it, though he too, he, he begged for patience. Oh, but he would have none of it. No, he grabbed him by the throat and he roughed the guy up. He had him thrown in jail until he could begin to pay. And our gut reaction to Jesus's story is a correct one. That little punk He obviously did not appreciate nor understand the kind of forgiveness that he had just been shown. I mean, it was like showing the king that he never really even took the king's grace seriously in the first place. And that is why followers of God should become so great at forgiving others. Because we grow this understanding and this appreciation for the level of forgiveness that we have been shown by God, the King. Jesus gave his life for our forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And this is concerning our protection. As I reflected on this line, I I thought of how often I normally pray in a reactionary way. Maybe some of you do it too, where, where we're always probably the most compelled to pray after we've gotten ourselves into the mess. You do that? You'll notice though that this line, this is a very proactive prayer. It's an admission to God that we need him. In our chaotic, in our corrupt world, we are gonna need his help his counsel, his strength. And when we pray for it ahead of time, you know what it tends to do? It tends to place God at the forefront of our minds as we go throughout our day. So that we would keep in mind when when we encounter such things as temptation, when we face difficulties, that he is with us. That we don't face life alone. 
And you'll notice also that this prayer isn't really a prayer that bad things will never happen to us. It's a prayer that bad things, such as trials or temptations, won't get to us. That the, the spiritual attacks, the hardships that we face, that they won't be able to turn us away from God. That we wouldn't be derailed from the purposes that God has set before us in our life. If you'll remember, Jesus, he prayed this same kind of prayer in John chapter 17, verse 15. He said that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And it reminds us of 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 then, when it says, God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who is in the world. The worship team can come forward. We're going to sing one last song. But Jesus gives us the Lord's prayer and he says, this is how you should pray. But you know, it's not the only way to pray. It wasn't actually meant to be a memorized or a recited prayer, although we certainly can use it that way, as long as the words don't lose their meaning through the repetition, right? But Jesus really gave his followers this prayer more than anything else so that we might more clearly see and understand God's heart. That we would connect to him. That we would depend on him. That we would align our will with his because when it comes to prayer, you know, more than anything else, God's heart is that our heart would be drawn to him. And as long as that is the case, you know, I don't think that God really minds why we may be coming to him. He just simply loves it that we're with him. Everybody wins with prayer. We'll have a chance to go to him now in prayer as we celebrate communion. If you're new with us here at Journey, we do this each week. We celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion, which is just simply a time where we will go and we will grab the elements at the table. It's just a piece of bread and, and a little bit of juice. And it reminds us of the forgiveness that we have as a result of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so we'll eat that little piece of bread and we'll be reminded of his body and we'll drink that little bit of juice and we'll be reminded of the blood that he gave for us to pay the debt of our sins because they've been wiped out and we've been given a second chance on life. So pray with me. Then you'll have a chance to pray on your own through communion and we'll sing one last song together. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can always, often and repeatedly come to you as our Father, Abba, 
Lord, the one that would desire such a close and intimate relationship with us, your creation. Lord, would you hear our prayers now? God, as some of us may come to you during this time of communion and just simply need to declare you as Lord of their life, whether it's for the first time, maybe the second, the third, whatever it may be. And Lord, others of us just maybe come with hurts, maybe come with needs. And Lord, we thank you that you care. We thank you that you are with us. Lord, that you... And so now, God, would we spend the time just through prayer connecting with you, depending on you and needing you. And Lord, would you align ourselves with your heart and your will, we pray. In your name, amen.